Fellas, how y'all doing, man? It's 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 always great to be back in the back in the saddle with y'all boys, man. And yeah. we we're we're here once again, and and there's so much going on. But before we get into the sports, how how are y'all living, man? What's what's going on with you? Uh, it's managing time, man. Just so uh, you know, handling business, trying to get trying to get ducks in a row. That's about it. Nothing new. Mm, mm, mm. I feel it. The Pistons are more worn out than that shirt at this point. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really debating whether or not we need to, you know, just go ahead and and just call that a day. But I, I, I'm trying not to give up on them. I really am. Chris, how you been, man? What's what's going on with you? Uh, you know, I want to have a Pistons joke for y'all, but down in Houston land, we've been officially eliminated from the playoffs. So, hey, uh, look at that, dude. You wanted to make a joke. Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Yeah, yeah. but I'm living, man. I'm living, man. You know, just doing chilling, chilling, working like usual. Just, you know. Man, two, t- today was uh, two of my, or this weekend, rather, was two of my frat brothers' uh, birthdays. Uh, my my ace, Nick Mintz, and my uh, ADP, Cedric Craig. Both of their birthdays were this weekend, so. We hit a spot called Dame's Chicken and Waffles uh, for brunch. And man, I tell you, I before I didn't really get the appeal of mimosas like as like this huge thing, but like some Dame's Chicken and Waffles <laughs> with some mimosas. Mm-hmm. Did y'all have the bottomless? Y'all had the bottomless? Nah, it wasn't bottomless. It wasn't bottomless. Oh, yeah. But you know, bottomless. you know how that be. But but we we all are, are like just now getting established in our careers and doing things and making money. So like, yeah, it was bottomless. Like we paid for it to be bottomless. <laughs> it, it wasn't actually bottomless. It was like we gonna pay till we drunk, dude. It was <laughs> so that's uh that's how that went. But uh, nah, we we didn't actually get drunk, drunk though. We we, we had a little something. Though. We had a little something on us. So. What's up, y'all? Have a seat. It's your favorite hour of the week with the facts over at Axe Crew. We got the master, the mixer master, Josh Guyton in the building. That is I. We got the money man, the man with the plan, Chris Island in the building. Right here, right here. And then you got the little old MC. That's me. Now, we got a lot going on this week. We got a lot going on this week. First of all, draft week is here. We've all been speculating and Who's going first? Who's going second? Who's going? We've all been speculating. The time for speculation ends. And I love the quote from J.C. Horn. You still got to play football after this. So let's let's uh, we're, we're definitely going to have to get into draft day. And also, we're going to have to talk about some of the best and worst first round draft picks of the 2010s. Yeah. It's too early for the 2020s. We, we can't exactly do those yet. But of the 2010s, I think we can for sure. Uh, get some some best and worst going, and and talk about whether or not we see anybody in this class is like, hey, this is this a Hall of Famer in the making, or if we got a two pack, it's just a hot two pack <laughs> of ass coming out of this. Oh, I'm sorry, we want to keep it PG. Hot two pack <laughs> of buns coming out of of this draft class, and then I mean, hey, it, Oof. The Chiefs, the, the rich get richer, man. The rich get richer. The Orlando Brown saga ends with uh, him going on over to Kansas City. So there's there's that. And then, I mean, hey, in the words of Notorious B.I.G., God rest his soul, where Brooklyn at, man? James Harden is done for the rest of the season. What does that mean for the Nets going forward? Also, it's it's been a real tough week for Ojo Cinco uh, for a multitude of reasons. And... um. I'm going to just warn y'all, as we always say, bet responsibly. Okay? Like, that's, that's all we're going to do for that. And and then we got some people's legs snapping like Kit Kat bars that we got to touch on as well. So, <laughs> you know, we we, we got a load yeah, of shit. Hey, today. hey, audience. Audience going to be happy. Guy might get on his pew and get on his pew today <laughs> get in that pastor box today. And you know what? This is actually a fight that I have a, a decent amount of context and background behind. So I might have to, you know, when the guest pastor speaking and the regular pastor hit hit waving him with the fan and get him the towel, I might have to hit guy with the towel today, man. I got you. I got you. So we're going to start this thing off as far as draft day goes. 
Can y'all tell me your best and worst first round draft pick of 2010 of the 2010s? Now, it doesn't have to be the best player out of the draft, just a player that you think was the best pick and the worst pick for that franchise at that time, as far as um as far as these draft picks of the 2010s went. Um, so if I'm going with my best pick, I'm going to go with Russell Wilson from the 2010s. Russell Wilson was a third round pick. Oh, we're going only first round. We're going round only pick. first round. Only first round. round. Only first round. round. All right. And in that case, we're going Pat Mahomes then. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's an right. easy pick. We're going Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I thought we were talking right. over my bad, my bad. But yeah, if we're going uh first round, I'm going Pat Mahomes. Only because even though um Pat Mahomes was one of those quarterbacks where, like, even though like Mitch Trubisky got drafted first. And to this day, like I'm not even I'm I'm not a, even a bigger football fan than either one of y'all. But when I saw that pick, I was like, I don't know how the hell they came to the realization. Like Mitchell Trubisky to me was a Daniel Jones-esque pick. Like I don't know what the thought process was in, in grabbing this guy first, especially for a team that's desperately need a quarterback since like the beginning of time. Has the Bears ever had a decent quarterback? Um, not since Jim McMahon. No. No. <laughs> Jimmy Mills like, when my pops was was, was, yes, was my he age, was but... he was the quarterback when uh, Walter Payton was still rolling. God rest his <laughs> right. soul. So for a, from a team that's always needed a quarterback, I didn't understand the the logic in not taking a quarterback that was you know an athletic anomaly like a Pat Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson. And I thought that you know it was pretty evident that Patrick Mahomes was going to be a great quarterback going forward, and he proved that. It's usually you know in the NFL a quarterback got to spend a few years behind the other guy, or they got to kind of get used to the NFL system. This is a guy that was you know in the playoffs and in MVP contention by the end of his second season. So I, I think that's pretty clear cut. Now, if we're going with uh, if we're going with worst. We got to go with Trent Richardson. Mm. Trent Richardson was drafted. Uh, was drafted third. I forget what I forget what year it was. But he was drafted third. And mm-hmm. if we look at Trent Richardson, he was supposed to be like the next AP. Like he he checked uh, all well, of the boxes. That's what the timing was, man. He, he checked all of the boxes for what makes a great running back. He was low to the ground. He was strong. He was fast. He had the uh, the keyword for the scouts. All the scouts said, oh, he has the tree trunk legs. He had the tree trunk legs. But um, we, we going to keep it PG, so I'm not going to make a comparison uh, between him and uh, stars that we admire in our adolescent years. But let's just say that Trent Richardson let himself go. And and that was... um. We see are the are where the Browns are now, so I think that if they would have made a better utilization of this pick, they might have got gotten to the spot a little faster than they did. You know what's very funny about Trent Richardson? If you are watching this podcast right now, you have scored exactly one less touchdowns for the Browns than Trent Richardson. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. That is not hyperbole. You have scored. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that, that's just his receiving touchdowns. Rushing, he did score 11 his his rookie season. So he, he looked promising. And then after that, you know, I don't know what it was about them Alabama backs them two years, but him and Eddie Lacy, they, hey, <laughs> they said, listen, bring me the steak the size of my back every day, <laughs> every single day. Chris, your best and worst. Let's hear it. All right, my best, I'm going to go with Kyle Fuller. And just because the just because the Bears are historic for just being some heavy hitters back in the day, you know, everybody was a heavy hitter, but the Bears, the Ravens, the Steelers, teams like that, they used to they used to lay hat. So uh, I'm gonna go with Kyle Fuller. He was like a good good defensive back for them to grab. Um definitely, definitely, definitely a sleeper pick to my eyes. He went fourteenth, I believe. And yeah, just 14th to me to the Bears. That just to me, whenever you get a cornerback as good as as Kyle Fuller, it it, it puts a spotlight on your defense. A quarterback knows they're gonna struggle today on that side of the field, so they need to adjust their whole game plan. They came into that weekly, so then my worst, and I mean, how could you get any worse than this, Blake Bortles? Oh my God. I have a special place for Blake Bortles in my heart. And this or all the hate is in my heart, that's where he is. Because <laughs> if you if you look at it, bro, that Jacksonville team carried him and he still couldn't have a decent game. 
Like they put my Steelers out and I was heard about it, but I'm like, we lost to Blake Bortles? Like, Blake? But then I was like, no, we lost to the defense. And sure enough, as soon as we got somebody to play against them that had an uh, unstoppable uh, offense, they he, he he showed his worth. He, he just worst. That's that's probably the, one of the worst quarterbacks pick of this decade and the last decade. Well, I mean, if I'm and who I'll I'll say this when I look at who was worst and who was best to me again, it's about how you impacted your franchise. And to me, the alternatives for what they could have got there. If I'm looking at the the worst draft pick of the 2010s, I mean, Josh already mentioned them, but Mitch Trubisky being where he was mm-hmm. is, it's not only astonishing because Mr. Trubisky is bad, it's astonishing because of who else was available. You get, so let me get this straight, right? Mr. Bisky is a guy that I played against in college, right? I thought that the quarterback that was at UNC before him, and uh, I want to say his name was Marquise Williams. I thought that Marquise Williams was a better quarterback than him. I did not see anything out of Mitch where I was like, oh, he the one. And I played against players before. <laughs> I played against players where I'm just like, like I it, when you when you're playing and you win the game. You in warrior mode and you like, I'm going to kill him. I got to do what I got to do. But afterwards, you go back and watch the tape and you're like, oh, he the one, right? For example, coach running back Marlon Mack. We played USF my red shirt freshman year. I was watching film on him and I'm like, oh, he the one. He's an NFL back. I, I knew immediately. I hit him a couple times. I'm like, yep, this is, NFL, this is an NFL football player. It's He the real deal. With that being said, not once in watching film on him and playing him and none of that. Did I ever look at Mr. Biscay and say like, He's going to change somebody's franchise one day. He's going to. Now, let me tell you who I did play against and who is not my best first overall, I mean, first round pick, but who I did play against and I knew that about, Deshaun Watson, a guy who I did watch film on and 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 saw like he was it, Deshaun Watson. He jumped off the tape every second, every. It was just like that. And then. You look at Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson being taken behind them, and that's like, ah, oh, you poor, <laughs> poor baby. Because there were no other quarterbacks selected in that first round. The, the full list of quarterbacks selected in that first round is Mr. Bisky, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. I mean, before Deshaun Watson went off, I, we're not, we don't know how this case is going to play out, but even with everything withstanding, if he never played another down in the NFL, he would still have a better career than Mr. Bisky. So that's just a factual statement. Uh, my best, the last pick of the first round in the 2019, I'm sorry, the 2018 draft, rather, Lamar Jackson. He's got to be it. To me, the people don't realize how much he changed the Ravens' fortunes around. Think about what they were when he came in his rookie season, yeah. they were what four and seven. They were four and seven, and then he wins like their four or seven, and he wins their last five or four out of their last five to get. No, he won their last five straight to get them to the playoffs. And then the next year, he goes mm-hmm. on to become the MVP and lead them to fourteen wins. Yeah. And then a the year after that, he leads them to I want to say twelve wins last year, ten or twelve. How many did the Ravens win last year? Was it ten? They didn't want they didn't want 10 because the Steelers won so, 12. Won. So they, they win 10 last year. And, and and to me, again, look what Joe Flacco is doing right now. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. No other franchise needed a, a singular player that they got in the first round as bad as uh the the Ravens needed him. Mind you, they got him last pick. Or it, it last, yeah, yeah, last dead pick last pick, that dead last pick of the first. That was they want everybody wanted him to be running back. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? Again, I let me tell you something. I didn't play against Lamar Jackson the, the year that I retired due to injury. I was like, that was the year that Lamar Jackson really took off. I watched film on him, and um, I remember hearing about like the the thing was, oh, if we just force him to, if we force him to throw the ball, we'll be all right. He threw for like 300 yards against us. <laughs> and y'all got to understand something about this man. 
his receivers led the nation in drops and drop percentage. Not they didn't lead the ACC. They didn't lead his side of the ACC. They led the entire nation in percentage of passes that hit both hands and they dropped. And I was just like, <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> uh, the head coach that I played for today was Dave Dorn. <laughs> hey, David, come here. Let me talk to you real quick. <laughs> Let me talk. <laughs> Shut up. He's not like the rest of us. He is not one of us, okay? He watch out, man. But anywho. Yeah, that's that's my best and worst as far as the uh, first rounds of the 2010s go. So now we're in the 2020s. We got the second draft of the 2020s rolling. In this draft, do we see any guys that are like you look at as a surefire Hall of Famer or any guys that you're like, I don't care who drafts him. If he goes in the first round, he'll be a bust. Um, I think the only person we could look at definitely in this draft, and I think we can all agree we talked about it last week, I believe, is Trevor Lawrence. Just because, yeah. like, I think something has to go catast- catastrophically wrong for him to not be, for us to not see him in his first two, three years in the league and say, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Like, if you were to create a, a quarterback on a video game, you would give him the credentials and the stature that Trevor Lawrence has. You know what's crazy? Trevor Lawrence is so good. The question was big whether or not he would have been the first overall pick last year if he was able to come out in the draft. And everybody was like, yes. Yeah, we have no doubts about this. Mm-hmm. Even as a sophomore, we would take him over Joe Burrows, who ended up being the first overall pick. Any, Chris, what are your thoughts, man? Any surefire Hall of Famers? Any surefire bust you see coming out of this first round? Um, if now this is if if they if they actually have Justin Fields as the fifth best quarterback in this draft, the guy that everybody keeps putting over him, I can't think of his name right now. Give you brought it up Matt last Jones. week. Matt Jones. Yeah. Jones. Yeah. Now, if he actually get drafted in the top 20, which I don't see happen, I see him a late first round or early second round. But if he get drafted in the top 20, I feel like that that's a bust. Well, all the teams that need a quarterback right now, you draft him over Justin Fields as well. I I, I think that would be the biggest bust. And I feel like he got the most bust potential to me. Honestly. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. You know, I, I feel that Mac Jones answer. I really I really and truly do. But I'm going a, I'm to a tell you this. One player that I think is surefire, you can bet on it. He's going to be in the NFL for a very long time, barring injury or something catastrophic. Uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts has superstar written all over him. This boy is, he's about what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he ran a 4'4". Four, four. Like, it, this is not... And he, what people don't realize is when when guys get to the NFL, you're now in professional athlete mode. When you're in college, technically speaking, at most of these colleges, you still have to be somewhat of a student. Like, that's just the reality of it. You have to still do classes. You still got to do all this and that. Kyle Pitts is 6'6", 240, ran a 4'4", 5". He's going to put on... His frame can withstand 10, maybe 15 more pounds comfortably, and he'll be a better blocker, but he'll still be 4'4", 4'5", type of guy at 250 250 pounds. This man (laughs) is like nothing. We've There's players that like everybody tries to draw comparisons to and all that. There's nobody we can compare him to. We've never seen anybody this big, this fast, this. We've never seen it. So to me, a guy that he was, here's how good he is. Some evaluators have said, regardless of position, Kyle Pitts is the best receiver in his draft, even if he were out wide. Now, I don't know if you all remember this or not. The Heisman winner last year played what position? Wide receiver. And he's coming out in this draft class. So just understand that for a second. In the class where the actual Heisman winner from last year plays the same position or plays a different position than you that he's supposed to be better at because it's it's his natural position, everybody's like, yeah, no, if, if he played that position, he'd be better at it. Kyle Pitts, to me, superstar written all over. And I agree. Mac Jones has bust all of just – it's, again, never trailed in college past halftime. Never – actually, no. I don't think he ever trailed, period. But – as a starter. I don't think he ever trailed, period. But he's never trailed in the second half. I know that for sure. Never trailed in the second half. And on top of never trailing in the second half, over half of his yards came after the catch. Yeah. 
Why? What? The only scenario in which people would technically not consider him a bust is if he goes to San Francisco because their defense and the way that they build their team is so efficient and effective. He'll still find a way to like maybe stumble into a championship on some Trent Dilfer nonsense. <laughs> right. He'd be Rex Grossman. I, and you know the crazy part? That's why Trent Dilfer is the large part of why rings don't mean anything to me as far as football arguments go. Because he has more than Dan Marino. So <laughs> just think about that for a second. Anywho, with the draft coming up, another thing that happens every year right before the draft, trades, 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 trades. One of the biggest trades that I think all, all offseason uh, has just been pulled off by the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. So as you all may know, Orlando Brown said uh, basically in the open letter talking about his uh, now deceased father and, and how he was um, a right tackle in the NFL. He talked about how his father wanted him to be better than him. And we all know in today's NFL, the, the premier position on the offensive line is the left tackle. He protects the quarterback's blind side. He protects you from uh, very pote- potentially deleterious injuries. So with that being said, even though they have Ronnie Stanley coming back, who was one of the best left tackles in the league uh, before he got hurt, well, Orlando said he's still playing left tackle. So uh, the Ravens were left with a very interesting quandary there, and they've solved it by sending Orlando Brown uh, the second their second-round pick this year and the sixth-round pick next year to the Chiefs for – the Chiefs' first-round pick this year, first, third, and fourth this year, and their fifth next year. So are there any winners? Are there any losers? Or is this a win-win or is this a lose-lose type of deal? Um, I think this is a win-win because you got two teams. We're not exactly sure what um the Ravens – like, it's not really any speculation as far as what they're prepared to do with those picks that they attained. Um, But – it's a win-win because Kansas City already had a championship potential team and their offensive line got way stronger. The only thing yeah. that I find interesting about this trade is even though they're on two you know, separate conferences, um, I do think it's odd that you really see two championship contending teams execute trades with each other in any sport. Very true. Very true. I mean, more often than not, these teams know, like, if I'm giving them ammunition – Right. I'm giving them ammunition that they're going to be firing at me. So, right. you know, that's that's the deal there. Chris, what you thinking, man? Winners and losers this trade? Uh, I think Kansas City wins, but I think it's pretty fair. Uh, strictly off the fact that uh, in the NFL, coming from college, in any college sport, the NFL, the college to NFL jump is huge, right? <laughs> and Lamar Jackson, someone going to be here at the Ravens for a long time, knock on wood, because, you know, the Ravens always, they always do some Ravens stuff sometimes. But he he, he he's going to be with the Ravens for a long time. Uh, so is Patrick Mahomes, as he just signed a new deal for he's going to be here right. up for a long time. So they were they, they, two of their offensive linemen got injured this Super Bowl, and it showed a lot. It showed a lot with that Bucks defense on why they needed some more offensive line help. So they got that in Orlando Brown. But the Ravens, the reason why I say the college to NFL jump is so big, um, the Ravens has got several picks. They got four picks, I believe, in this trade, right, Gibbs? Uh, yeah, three in this draft, one in next year's. Yeah, so the reason why I say that in the NFL, I mean, the college to NFL is because wide receivers, if Lamar gonna be there long term, you got to keep getting him young wide receivers that get down that line quick. You need Absolutely. a bunch, and wide receivers are hits or miss. Either they're gonna come to the league and be instant impact, or they're gonna be bust. So you give them, you get you, you hire your chances, hire your probability. Y'all know I'm a numbers guy. You hire your chances of getting better receivers in there because it's not often that you have receivers that come in and they start off bad, bad, and then they turn into good receivers. You know what I mean? So I think this is perfect for Lamar. You got, you got him a lot more probability to get some dog receivers out there. When I look at this trade, I, I don't see how you could name a loser here. As far as the Ravens, Orlando, there was no way that they were going to keep Orlando Brown and force him to play right tackle. You're not going to make Ronnie Ronnie Stanley play right tackle. Ronnie Stanley is one of the best left tackles in the league. You're not going to do that. And then, even if you were to convince Orlando Brown to play the right tackle, you'd have to pay him left tackle money. I know people are thinking, what is the difference in left tackle money? The best left tackles to the best right tackles, if you're going top five at the position, 
the average the the difference is like eight million dollars a year. Yep. Now, eight million dollars is an immense amount of money, period. I don't care what you're doing, what league you're in. Maybe to the NBA it's not that much because they be throwing out super maxes like, hey, did he just did he drop 20 that one time way back in Bermuda? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're gonna get him a super max. <laughs> but in the NFL, eight million dollars is a that gets you a lot. So with that being said, that they saved that money, and the Ravens are one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. Like, people talk about how good Orlando Brown is, right? Does anybody remember what round the uh, Ravens picked Orlando Brown in? Orlando Brown Jr. in? I, I don't. The third. They picked him in the third round. So even if you're looking at Orlando Brown as, like, just a pick commodity, you flip the third rounder into a first, a third, and a fourth. Right. And a fifth. Like, that's what the Ravens do. Ozzie Newsom may not be the main guy as the GM anymore. Ozzie is still involved in that building. And until the Wizard of Oz is, is six feet deep, the Ravens will be a great drafting team. That's just how that works. So, given the Ravens' picks. Whew. Yeah, that's what I said. Now, the Ravens might be able to go. We were so on this show. If y'all go back and check the tape on Apple Podcasts, we were so high on Chase Claypool. And y'all see what he did this year. Like, we called that before anybody else called that in the media. We said from day one, Gibbs said from day one, Chase Claypool. And mind you, I knew who he was, but I wasn't, you know, as a Steelers fan, I wasn't geeky, geeky about it. But when Gibbs did that, I did my research, Chase Claypool was going to be a monster for years to come. And you get you give the Ravens draft picks, they're going to find a Chase Claypool type player. <laughs> right. Because remember now, remember, they were not supposed to get Lamar. They already drafted Hayden Hurst in the first round of that draft. They had no reason to come back into the front. And then they were like, the Eagles don't need that first. Let me get that up <laughs> off you, player. Let me get that up. Y'all just won the Super Bowl. Y'all can give me that first. Come on, man. And now look at the Eagles quarterback situation. Yikes. But anywho, uh, that's just it's the reality is what it is. I mean, I think this is a win-win. And by the way, I don't know what Kansas City is doing. I don't know if they like are playing Madden and they've turned the salary off. Uh, as far as like the settings on franchise, but how they added Joe Tooney, Orlando Brown, Kyle Long after doing all this after signing Pat Mahomes to a half a billion dollar deal and re-signing Chris Jones to a, a multi hundred yeah to a over hundred million dollar deal. I'm pretty sure or somewhere in that ballpark. I where's this money coming from? Are they giving these players monopoly money? <laughs> What do they do? It's amazing to see a team turn a weakness in offensive line into a strength so so soon. Also, shout out to the NC State grad, Joe Tooney. Played with him. He was a great guy. Couldn't happen to a better person. But anywho, it's, it's crazy. This is nonsense. What? I, and I think that the, war, I think that the uh, Chiefs are doing what the Warriors did. And like they're anticipating that new TV deal going to hit. And it's going to extend the, the salary cap to something wild. and It got to be something. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it looked like <laughs> we're going to be broke. But when they push that salary cap to 250 out of nowhere, y'all going to be looking at us like, I lost. So that's just, <laughs> just a short little thought there. And now we're going back to Brooklyn. James Harden is done for the regular season. That means mm-hmm. that the current construction of the Nets have played a total, and mind you, by current construction, we just mean uh, Kyrie, KD, James Harden, and Blake Griffin have played a total of seven games together. Right. Actually, I don't even think Blake Griffin is included in that seven. I think it's just no, the big three. No, he's not. Blake Griffin is yeah. Blake so not included. It's just, just the big three have, have played seven games together. Are they still the team to beat in the East come playoff time? Um, I'm going to have to go with Yes. Mm. Um, reason being that I think the only team that serves them a definite threat is Philly. And we still haven't seen what that Philly team is able to do in the playoffs. In this current construction, we have, you know, uh, a coach in Doc Rivers who's blown easily, easily winnable series on multiple occasions. We the only time we've ever seen Embiid and Simmons at full strength in the playoffs really was against Toronto. And it ended up going to seven games. They played well. But we still haven't seen Philly in this current construction, what they can do in the playoffs. 
And I think when you have a team as talented as Brooklyn, just talking about their big three, just talking about Kyrie, Mm -hmm. Harden, and Kevin Durant, it's kind of hard to beat that kind of talent in the playoffs in a seven-game series, regardless of their chemistry, regardless of what issues they've got going on, especially at their age. Technically speaking, they're all still in their primes. Because if you just go through history, you could look at teams who had a big three, even if they weren't in their primes or on the tail end of it, like a 08 Boston who – didn't have great chemistry because they that was their first season together. They won a championship. If you look at the team they went against in the finals, the Lakers, the Lakers ended up uh, making the finals and pouting, get there into the into the All Star break. If you look at the Lakers in 04, they made the finals. That was Carl Malone's and Gary Payne's Payton's first season there. Just looking throughout time, you need a team like a Lakers team that has chemistry on top of very talented players in order to beat a team this talented. So I think that Philly is the only team that has a chance, but I don't think Philly has the current construction to where we can put our faith in them until we see what they can do in the playoffs as a team. I feel it. I feel it. Chris, what you thinking, man? Are they still a team to beat in the East or what? Uh, off of sure, for, uh, star, power, star power alone, I'm going to say yes. But if you look at the X's and the O's and not the players in the Joes, you look at the, the – they don't have enough chemistry on the court to, to when it's clutch season, when it's clutch time, crunch time, who going to get the ball? Because they struggled a lot with that in the seven games they did play with. If y'all remember correctly, Kevin Durant was ran down court. James Harden decided to isolate for a game when he shot and he missed, and they lost the game. Then against the Wizards, they did a complete collapse against the Wizards. Oh, oh, that Russell Westbrook. Dagger three. Yep. Russell Westbrook, dagger three to win. No, Brad Beal. Remind you, Bradley Beal did not play that game. So pitiful. So stuff like that in the playoffs. And and I want to say, and I know it's hard to believe in them because they haven't shown their worth, but the Bucks, I think Drew Holiday actually makes the Bucks a lot, lot more interesting against the Nets. Now, Philly obviously is still the team to beat other than the Nets in the East. But if Giannis can learn how to defer when he needs to defer and take over when he needs to take over. The problem is the, the, the Bucks offense is set up to be great around Giannis. And player, the NBA starting to realize you built that wall, you, you render Giannis useless for getting to the basket. He got to rely on the other team. But if he if he learns to adapt the LeBron mentality, Brian is passed first, but then Brian can also turn it on. You know what I mean? He can turn it on, go get his 15 that quick, then he just go back to pass first. If Giannis learns how to do that, he could give the Nets a lot of problems because they are not good on defense down low. They're, they're, they have no, they got rid of all their interior defense when Aldridge retired, who was only a smidge of uh, interior defense. Yeah. And then also when they uh, signed DeAndre Jordan and, and got rid of Jerry Allen. When they kept DeAndre Jordan instead of Jerry Allen, they lost a lot of uh, interior defense as well. So, I mean, to me, Philly has the best shot when you got a motivated Joel Embiid. Then I'm gonna say the Bucks to take them down. But if you go pound for pound talent, I'm not gonna lie. The Nets still are the team to beat if you go pound for pound talent. You know, I, I really do agree with your point about Giannis there. However, there's a really big difference between him and LeBron when it comes to this thing called shooting. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, because if you look at the series against the Mavericks. LeBron couldn't shoot like that. And it would it the Mavericks made it clear. They're like, hey, big dog. <laughs> Go ahead. You figure it out. And, and LeBron James being the being one of the best five players in the world for as long as he has been, he was used to people basically, he was seeing double teams every night, every time. Then when he's with the Heat playing the Mavericks, for the first time in his life, probably, people was like, oh, he's self-checked. Hey, figure it out, bro. We're going to let you take that three, bro. Figure it out. And he just kept missing. But um, I I don't think that the uh, Nets are a team to beat in the East, only because their scores can score. Sure. Sure. But like I've, I've been arguing this whole time, they have not they, – they couldn't stop a runny nose with Robitussin, tissue, and the COVID vaccine. Like they just – they couldn't do nothing with it. So the fact of the matter is defense and rebounding are – two-thirds of the game. They cannot do those two things. They can do offense better than everybody else. You got no argument with me there. 
You got no argument. They have Joe Harris, who is one of the best shooters in the league. They have three of the best scorers, potentially of all time, three of possibly the top 25 scorers of all time, maybe. Uh, But with that being said, you still got to stop people. When that ball come off the rim, somebody still got to go get it. Y'all don't have the horses in the stable to do that. Like I got a, your, I got a question for you, Gibbs. What's up? If you're if you're Steve Nash and you mm-hmm. match up with Philly in the conference finals, who guards Joel mm-hmm. Embiid? For, who who guards Ben Simmons? <laughs> who who guards Ben Simmons? Because if you put KD on him, that KD seems like the most logical matchup for Ben Simmons, right? Yeah. But like like Josh has talked about before, if you put KD on Ben Simmons, you're then asking Kyrie and James Harden to run around screens for an entire game. Are they doing that? They ain't doing so. that. I don't think so. <laughs> They're gonna be like, "Hey, I, I, I think I think you can. I think you can live with James Harden checking, um, checking Ben Simmons. But you got to remember, whenever James Harden's asked to check uh, a high matchup like that, he oh, he defers a lot. He's not going to score the basketball like he does. So so. So if you put if you put James Harden on Ben Simmons, we gonna see a, a whole lot of that. Take him to the post and baptize him. I'm sorry, but like Harden is six six, not a great post defender. Ben Simmons, while not having the deepest post bag of all time, he got a decent post bag. I mean, Harden not a horrible. Good. He not a horrible post defender. You remember he played a lot of power four for the Rockets in that small ball lineup, and he got a right, lot of stops right. when needed. But however. My initial question, who checks Joel Embiid? Like, literally, do they even have Again. a seven-footer in Brooklyn? <laughs> Again, you got to tell uh, Amari to put them goggles back on. You got to suit up, big fella. Exactly. And, and, and guess what? Getting a stop against Al Farouk Aminu when you at the four <laughs> is not – that's not the same as getting a stop against Ben Simmons. You, oh, I agree. I agree. Like, I, I agree. It's two totally different ballgames. But, but if, if we're being completely honest, though, I, they have the answer. The Claxton needs to be on Embiid. And I don't know why he's not getting those big minutes. If just look at Brooklyn's game, Claxton is a supreme defender. and He's everything that they were expecting out of DeAndre Jordan that they missed by trading Jared Allen. I don't know so, what, what I guess it's the experience of the coaching staff or their lack of defensive knowledge. But watching the game, Claxton knows how to play defense. To, to me, it, it seems to be very clear that at the end of the day, this team is going to have the same problem that the Clippers had. The Clippers' problem was not a lack of scoring. They were scoring fairly well in the playoffs. They they were doing all right. Besides when uh, Paul George and, and Kawhi went ice cold, they were doing all right offensively. Yeah. They could not stop nobody. When Jamal Murray got hot and went legend, everybody was like, wait, what do we, what do, we do? What do we do? Hey, what's going on? If they go up against the if they go up against the um, Bucks or the if they go up against the Bucks, the Heat or the 76ers, all three of those teams have players that can get hot. Again, I've said this about Danny Green all along, and I will never stop saying it. His commitment to beating LeBron James is unmatched. Unmatched. <laughs> Even when he's on the same team as LeBron, he's committed to beating LeBron. And I don't like doing that. I don't like reducing NBA players to like, oh, he really hates this one guy. But like, <laughs> Danny, you was wide open at the top of the key in game five and you missed. They said you used to go weeks straight in Toronto without missing open threes. What's going on, Daniel? Talk to me. Anywho, uh, with that being said, again, this you got to stop somebody. At some point in time, your players got to get down in the stands. And third eye Kai ain't going to do it. Um, James Harden, it, 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 it ain't Yo, his forte. Man, I don't know who who started that that Kai nickname, but that's that's one of the worst <laughs> names I've heard. Hey, hey, and you know, you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy about all of this? The Knicks look like they are better matchup for Philly than the dang on Nets defensively. And I thought I'd never say nothing like that. <laughs> but you know what, though? Number one, they got Tibbs. Number two, they got a couple of bits. We talk a lot about Tibbs on this show. We have ragged on Tibbs a lot, which he deserves, which he still deserves because them starters still playing 40 minutes. But but it, his scheme is doing what it does. They're having immense success 
in the regular season. So I mean, I yeah. I mean, when you got starters playing against second unit, I mean, you're gonna have success in the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> as long if, as if nobody get hurt. Absolutely. If you're a Knicks fan, to see that everybody is still healthy and them knees still working and everything still percolating properly, I'm, I'm happy with that. I ain't got no problem with that. I mean, you know, but to me, the 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 seventy six. I mean, the uh, the Nets can't be the team to beat these. If you can't stop nobody, you're not the one seed. And on top of both of those things, your players haven't played together. They just haven't. They just have. And then you don't have the one of the things that, to me, if you look at all of the recent championship teams, they've had at least one player who on the perimeter could get in the stands, and whoever they're whoever they're guarding is in the torture chamber. All of the past few champions have had that. Each and every one of them. Let's let's do yeah. the last five championships. Let's let's think about it. So the Lakers won this year. You had Casey Bryant, yeah. Anthony Davis, and Brown. All three yeah. of them. Exactly. Okay. That. The year before, before that, then, 20, 2019, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi. Obviously. 2018, the winner was Golden State. The Golden State. You had Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. All three of them. Then the year before that, Golden State Golden again. State. Same three. Then you had 2016. You had the Cavs. Brown. Uh, JR, to his credit, am I suffered a lot of big minutes defensively? At, 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 at the time, Tristan Thompson was a pretty solid defender at that point yeah. in time. Yeah. You had multiple players who could get down in the stance and say, like, you know what? You're coming with me tonight. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> You're not going to say what you want about a lot of people like to say, well, LeBron led all both teams and all those stats because he was loafing on defense. Look at what his matchups did in those games. He might have gave some easy switches off screen. He was locking them up. Andre Iguodala did not look at the the ball offensively. Hey, you know, here you go, brother. And you, and you know what I hate about stats like that? Gives they they say LeBron loafing on defense. But where's the where's the evidence that his defense is, is causing ails? You know what I mean? Like, where's the evidence in that? We have pure evidence that the defense of the Nets causes losses. When they don't play good defensively, they lose games. They lose games. Exactly. So to me, if you don't have if you don't have at least one player that you know, because KD, he's still a good defender. He's still, if he can recover quick enough, he's gonna send it off the glass. But he doesn't have the same quickness that he used to defensively to recover if he gets beat off the first step like he used to. That's just the reality of the matter. That's a, no disrespect to him, but that's just the reality of the matter. So to me, the Brooklyn Nets cannot be the team to beat in the East. I mean, at some point, the, the standard has to be somebody has to set the standard defensively. And if we're talking about setting the standard, we got to talk about the standard that Ocho Cinco is setting for his children. <laughs> Um, in the tweet that he labeled Parenting 101, apparently this tweet was a troll, but uh, uh, his child asked him for some shoes, and he said, no, I worked at McDonald's. Uh, I caught the bus to school, then went to practice, um, caught the bus to McDonald's for a six-hour shift, all while maintaining a 2.2 GPA and being a star. <laughs> <sighs> Friends, now, if y'all don't know, all three of us, we, we, two of us, me and Josh, Cast Tech graduates, Chris was at Cast Tech for a very long time. So, like, all three of us went to a school that they literally had a saying, you'll see your way out. As in, if you get a C average, you're going to get kicked out. Yeah. But apparently, Chad Johnson was trolling with this. So, we'll let that part slide. But then he lost 50K. Betting on Usman. <laughs> and he was mad. No, he, he, bet, on, he bet on Masvidal. Oh, I'm sorry. He bet, he, bet on, he bet on Masvidal. Yeah. Usman won. And he looked tight. I mean, he was, he said, Alexa, play Drake. I'm upset on loop all the way home because <laughs> he was angry about that 50K. Do you think that this was karma coming back for that troll? Do you think that this was um, like a. So, eh. so, so, first and foremost, it wasn't a troll. This is a case of you putting something on the internet and being like, hey, these people are going to soldier behind me that once we start clowning you, it's a troll. <laughs> it's a troll because it didn't go the way that you expected. This wasn't a troll whatsoever. And and um, uh, Gibbs, you were a star athlete, right? 
I mean, I was all right back in my day, man. Okay, I, I okay, okay. I mean, we all three of us were athletes at a certain point. A two point two grade point average is not that difficult. And to to cater to his experience, after playing sports, I was taking a bus home, participating in more sports, had a job at Wendy's, and I, I did well over a two point two grade man. point average. Man, I caught two buses across town. Anytime, <laughs> anytime the head coach wasn't bringing me home, I was got two two buses back across hey, town. Hey, 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 I hate to say this on air, but Gibbs was on the bus for real. My pops used to drive me to school every day, and we used to ride past. I see Gibbs getting on his connecting Grand River bus right there at the light, and I used to be like, Pops, that's Gibbs. But pops be like, man, I ain't stopping. I ain't stopping. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't worry about it, bro. I, I, I got some words for Pops at the Facts of Acts link up, man. I got I got some words for Pops. But that, like, come on, dog. I, I really hope it was a troll because, I mean, at the end of the day, high school ain't that hard. It's not that hard to justify a two yeah. It's like, I bro, mean, but not, before they changed the rules in high school, I believe they changed in my 11th grade year, y'all 12th grade year. They changed it where the academic GPA had to be a 2.0. But over before that, it was overall GPA had to be a 2.5 at Cass Tech to play sports. I don't, I don't understand. Like, it's not that hard, bro. Yeah. It's really not that hard. I hope it was a troll. Because you it don't wasn't. maintain. Here's the thing. You don't maintain a 2.0 GPA. Yeah. A 2.0 <laughs> maintains itself. Like yeah. it's just, you kind of show up sometimes, kind of don't. 2.0 takes care of itself. Here's why I know that it wasn't a troll, right? Because what took place the next night and the money that he lost, it takes a special kind of person mentally to bet that kind of money on Jorge Masvidal, knowing who he was going against. Oof. Listen, listen. Another reason why it wasn't a troll is because, like I said, if we would have been backing him, like, yeah, man, he worked a job and he's Chad Ochocico, you know, he was working hard on the field. We was backing like that. He'd have been like, I tell you, he would have been giving that proof to his kid. Like, look, I'm telling. Look at the internet saying, but now we he see the other side of that 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 tweet. He like, ah, nah, I was just joking around. Do you, you know, know how saying? hard I had to work to buy me a pair of Zoom Soldier 6s? I wouldn't want to put that upon my child. And, I, <laughs> and you know, that's the other question about that. And, and I'm sorry, we don't want to veer away from sports, but this is just one of those things that's so confusing to me. Like, why would I ever want my kids having their homies talk about, yeah, you was, you was catching them two buses across town, yeah. bro. You, y'all don't understand. Catching a bus was not something that's like, oh, yeah, you get to do it on days where it's like hot outside. And Yo. It's bro, no. in Detroit, Michigan, Man. we have, we, North Carolina coal is respectful. It like taps you on the shoulder. Hey, put on a jacket, buddy. Detroit code is like Latrell Sprewell. It just come up on you. <laughs> <laughs> catch, catch up, mother. <laughs> And I was, bro, it used to be days I literally walk out the house and just be like, <laughs> man, disrespectful cold. And you got the, you had to walk a couple blocks to the bus and then you had to get on, wait for the hey, bus. Cause you don't know, tell me you had a school project. You in the, you on the bus with a trifold, boy. <laughs> hey, 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 don't, don't, hey, hey, don't, don't, hey, don't, hey, don't let it be raining. You got the, the, oh. the trifold in the garbage bag. Oh man! Hey, look, then, man, look. And my the kids experience. from other schools cooking you. The kids from man. Fred D cooking you. The kids from Northwestern cooking you. You just sitting there like, "Hey, bro, I'm just trying to." I'm just trying to hey, that, hey look, man. The worst experience hey, hey, I had. My architecture teacher. I had to catch a bus from from uh, uh, junior and senior year high school. I had to catch the bus from 15 mile to Cass, bro. And my architecture teacher gave us a gave us a project to where we had to build a structure, but out of food. So I'm on a bus at six in the morning with a pile of pretzel sticks glued together with marshmallows and frosting at six in the morning trying to hold it together. By the time I got to school, I just showed her a bag full of pretzels like, hey, I tried, bro. I tried. I did my best. I tried, bro. Oh, God, I did my best. You know what water does to sugar? It, it it fell apart immediately. <laughs> so again, why you would want that for your child is is and, and another thing, another thing that's like like you said there, Jorge Masvidal had about what 14, 12, 13 losses before this for, fight. For, I mean, fifty. If you just look at the the wear and tear of what MMA does to a person, Jorge Masvidal was never a, a transcendent fighter. 
And if you mm-hmm. get any fight, you can get the greatest fighter of all time. If you put 50 fights under their belt, they're they're more they're not who they were at fight 15. Yeah, you're not taking you're not taking 50 f- fights worth of punches to their face and you're gonna be the same, especially against somebody who's in their physical prime and that's had half the fights that you had. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough break. That's a tough here's here's my question. For me personally, I used to do like a little bit of betting. Any bread that I lost was like, oh man, that's tough. But you just keep it pushing. Why are you betting that much bread that got you like sitting at ringside? Damn, I can't believe Why it. are you betting that much money on something that's not a sure like if if you if that money is enough for you to be upset about? then you shouldn't be betting it. I understand betting a couple of dollars against something that's like a long shot and you just betting on an underdog because if they happen to win, I'm going to come up, right? You don't mm-hmm. bet enough money to be upset about unless it's something that you are sure about. Yeah. yeah if you went, out there, as, you, as if the, you went out there and you bet 50K on John Jones and he took an L, if you went out there and you bet 50K on Izzy and he took an L, I understand being upset. But Jorge Masvidal is who you risk 50K for? Listen, yeah. as the as the shows as the shows parlay man, as the shows parlay man, there is no such thing as a good gambler. Now you could be a strategic gambler as possible. That is a thing. There is no such thing as a good gamble. After you get a certain amount of picks and like in a row, it's all luck. It is all luck. Now you could be smart. Like you could say, okay, the Lakers got the Thunder, the Magic, and the the Bulls with no Levine the next three games. So they should, you know, with LeBron and AD back, they should clean up all three of those games, right? Right. But however, however, you're right on those three, and the Lakers go against somebody like, let's say, the Wizards. The Wizards could take a game. You know what I mean? It's no such thing as a good as luck. It is pure luck. So you bet 50k and then being Biting your nails, watching your 50K get lost. <laughs> it's it, it just not, it's no such thing as good gambling. You know it might saying? not That's be a such key. thing as good gambling, but it is a such thing as bad gambling. And betting <laughs> <laughs> for dog is bad gambling. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, he got, ooh, he got put to sleep too. It was, it was like, <laughs> I said, you know, y'all fighters are a different breed, man, because he, he dropped like a sack of bricks and the, the, the ref was like holding his legs and they're like, Oh my God! Is he dead? I got his bro. Dead. I got, Hold on! I got give him a breakdown, man. Give him a breakdown on how 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 to how, how to fight with Doc. Guy, have y'all ever watched uh, Artie Zip streams, bro? His breakdowns is hilarious, dog. I, and, you know, I would love I would love to hear a breakdown of this fight from from the Artie Zip himself. Let's hear. No, it, man, man, it's 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 not much to break down. I think the other fights that took place that night was something that was more more noteworthy. We had a fight between Whaley and uh, Rose Namajunas. Which I had Whaley winning, but like that that result wasn't surprising. That the women usually put on the best fights of the night, and that was mm. probably the most surprising, most exciting fight of the night. the The main event, I feel like that was the only fight that we had where we knew the result. I couldn't see a possibility, and we had somebody like Usman, who's been as hot as he's been, and beat the people that he's beat, even though he was on a, a four month notice for this fight. I think. I just didn't understand the logic and anybody betting with Moss Vidal. If you look at just the general trend of MMA fighters in general, if somebody's on their 50th fight and they had somewhat of a hot streak in his past few fights, he's been on the downturn. I don't I don't really see the logic in betting some betting on somebody who's like who, who lost against Usman twice. He beat Nate Diaz, Askren and Darren Teal. But then he had losses against Steven Thompson. He had a loss against Damian Maya, who was already kind of washed at the time. Like he's taken losses throughout his career that he shouldn't have taken. So the only thing you could have given Masvidal in that chance was was a you could have gave him a puncher's chance. Right. That's something that happens. But at the same time, this isn't boxing and MMA. It's very rare that like the underdog wins because he got off a lucky punch. That's very yeah. rare that something like that happens. And especially in their fifth fight, like that's just not a smart. MMA, MMA compared to boxing is like two different worlds. Like two MMA, you have to have a strategic plan going into that fight. Boxing, Muhammad Ali went out there and almost did the same thing every fight. Let them t- wear themselves down, and he had stamina out of this world, and then he gave them, a, you know, a couple punches to the face. They was out of there. But, dude, MMA, there's no such thing as going in there with, a, with one same strategy. You have to think of several ways to take your opponent down. 
it's too many, it's too many different styles that people execute extremely well. One night you could be wrestling, uh, you could be going up against an Olympic wrestler who has multiple gold medals, who can just like you get in the real life. Uh, uh, what what was Kurt Angle finishing move? What what was that joint? Oh, the uh, angle slam. Angle lock. You get you get oh, the real life. You get both of those. You get in real life angle slam and angle lock. Like it's nothing. Then next night you got to go up against one of the greatest strikers of all time, and you like. Hey, bro, wait, did he just kick my face out of place, bro? Wait, my face? <laughs> I used to have face here. Now it's like a, a foot imprint. What's going on? And then you're dealing with somebody who, like, is fighting from their back that those movie time is like, oh, like, oh, no, no, Virginia Jiu-Jitsu. And they're like, oh, come on down here. Come on. It'll be great for you. The next thing you know, <laughs> right. like, your shoulder's broken. So, like, it, it's tough. It's tough. And like you said, betting is a thing of luck. It's not really something that you can predict with any amount of like any great amount of certainty. And one of the things that people say often when they are wishing luck upon someone else, break a leg. Um, Chris Weedman took that advice to heart because uh, he sent out a kick that, that got checked and uh, that check sent his leg. Like it, um, his leg bent in the way that your leg ain't supposed to be. Okay. Um, and with that being said, that that ended the fight uh, fairly fair, at that point because he I don't even think he realized his leg was broke till he tried nope. to step back. Should have stepped back on it. And then it was like his leg was like, oh oh no, baby, what you doing? <laughs> what you doing trying to step back on your leg, baby? And he went down immediately. Yeah. So with that being said, is that the most gruesome injury that we've seen in sports in like recent? Um, it is not because believe it or not. Um, the first loss that we ever saw Anderson Silva take, actually the second loss we ever saw Anderson Silva take was against Chris Weidman. The first In the time, exact same way. The oh first time that Anderson Silva went against him, he got knocked out. But then the second time he went for a leg kick, it got checked, and Anderson Silva's leg broke in the exact same way. Do I think in terms of I th- so I think what made it what, what the only thing that made it worse is one I think it's just extremely ironic how this thing came full circle, right? Um, and to mention Anderson Silva's last fight of his career was against Uriah Hall, who went against Chris Weidman last night. Also, that's another layer to the story. Um, but I think the only thing that makes Chris Weidman's case worse is Anderson Silva was aware to know, like, my leg is broken. I'm, I'm the cool. Chris Weidman went back into his stance and his leg, like, it folded onto itself. That's, that's what made it worse. So, um, I think the only injury I can think of that could possibly be worse off the top of my head was, uh, I forget who Louisville was playing, but we all remember the Kevin Kevin Ware. injury. Kevin man, that's Ware. the old man. And I, I think Ooh. the only thing that made that worse is as soon as it snapped, as soon as he landed, we saw bone come through. We saw bone, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. another level of injury. We can see bone. Coming I got the image in my head right now, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah, know what? You know what? As somebody ooh. that got knee issues, we don't talk about Sean Livingston. Oh, that was bad, too. Oh I've never God. seen somebody leg break in a fashion to where it was at. The, we usually see a shin or an ankle or something that mad. We've, we, I think that's the only time we've ever seen a knee where somebody somebody leg was sideways at the knee. Oh, man. it looked like the SpongeBob dude that be like my leg. It looked like one of them joints. Like how they follow Family Guy with like the one yeah. arm behind and the leg. Uh-huh. Oh, that was tough. Like, like tough. I, I used to think when, when I first seen Paul George leg injury, that was catastrophic as well. Mm, but right. I used to think that was like, it don't get worse than that. Then they gave me Kevin Ware. And then, I, you know, that, that, the that, craziest that thing just... about all of these injuries that we're discussing, for some reason, I saw all of these when the games were live. <sighs> like, I don't know what's attracting me towards these, but the Paul George I saw live, the Gordon Hayward yeah, I, I saw, saw live, Kevin Ware I saw live, uh, Whiteman last night I saw live, Anderson Silva I saw live. Like, I don't know what it is about these injuries, but I always happen to be watching yeah. these events. So, so the common denominator is guy. <laughs> if Josh Guyton is watching your athletic event, put your put the trainers on notice. <laughs> put them on notice. Is a you know the worst one I I, I remember seeing was probably uh, Jalen Smith's 
Jalen Smith was so bad. It was, because it wasn't like the offensive lineman from Ohio State pushed him and like he like looked like he was just running normal and then his foot, his yeah. foot, his heel went into the ground and like his body was like bent over the lid. And it was just like, I'm sorry to make everybody cringe and be really gross right now, but like <laughs> this is something we kind of got to talk about because Oh my God, that was tough. And I saw that one in real time. And the worst part about Jalen Smith injury to me was I I was always I've always been one of those guys who's like, listen, at the end of the day, college sports is a business. Stop playing these ball games. <laughs> Stop playing these <laughs> ball games, risky uh, like you get hurt in a ball game. University is not gonna be like, oh man, you was gonna make 80 mil over your career. We'll take care right. of you. They'll be like, oh, word, Not you got all. your million dollar insurance policy, bro. <laughs> right. Sorry. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, but like, you're a millionaire. Yay. But then you get taxes taken out of that. So, like, haha, you're not a millionaire anymore. Yay. Mm-hmm. But anywho, yeah, that, that's real unfortunate. Anywho, I know y'all tired of us talking about breaks and, and bad breaks and horrible injuries, but. Come on back next week and the week after and the week after. Hopefully, we're going to have something more positive to talk about. We're going to be talking about the draft next week and what went down. We're going to be either we're going to be real excited about the future of the 49ers or or Mac Jones Pack may be rolled up. Who knows? We'll see next week. Peace and love, y'all. Yeah,